0: You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at NORI, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hi, everyone. My name is Alexandra Guerra from NORI. I'm one of the co-founders and director of corporate development, joining in for this uh, guest hosting of this Reversing Climate Change podcast episode. Uh, pleasure to be with you guys today. We have Dr. Erin yu Author of Grounded, a fierce feminine guide to connecting with the soil and healing from the ground up. She's also a founding member of Kiss the Ground. Welcome, Erin.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, So, we're going to talk about your book as well as soil and climate and how to heal. But one of the first questions I have is what inspired you to write this book? For anybody who's listening, it's like a It's it's quite a title to talk about healing and from a feminine standpoint as well as healing the soil.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was quite an evolution. It came from graduating with my PhD in 2013 in urban planning and sustainable cities. So I was looking at uh, climate change in cities and the built environment at the time. And then once I graduated, while I was doing my initial job search because I thought I was going to work for cities. Um, and do some kind of municipal climate change related thing, I stumbled upon this group of volunteers that is now the organization Kiss the Ground. So at the time, we were like 14 kind of ragtag volunteers, like on a couch with this kind of wild mission that my friend Ryland um, Englehart brought home from listening to Graham Sate speak in Australia way back in 2013. And so for me, it was just a volunteer effort. But what happened was I learned about life in the soil and um, soil carbon sequestration for the first time, uh, which is fascinating that I made it through six years of a PhD in urban planning and focusing on sustainable cities and didn't know about soil health or anything about soil carbon sequestration because it wasn't part of the mainstream conversation yet, which is actually one of the great tasks I think of Kiss the Ground and the entire um, regenerative ag movement since then. But at the time it was all, it was a pretty wild idea. And so I spent six months to a year with them and I was their first kind of informal director and um, becoming a nonprofit, deciding what we were doing, all of this stuff. And then I actually had what I am now call kind of a classic spiritual breakdown at the moment where I kind of like I got gentrified out of Venice after being this graduate student and I never did find that city job and I was working with Kiss the ground group and I just got exhausted and burnt out and so decided at that moment to go to Bali for yoga teacher training, which was kind of was actually a huge leap at the time. It was very sort of something I considered to be like air quotes, like not serious, uh, being this like academic woman that I thought of myself as. But some other things happened, a friend, a childhood friend passed away of a sudden cancer at the time. And I just had this kind of, you know, come to God moment that was like, just do the thing that you would regret not doing. And so I went, and that was when, I mean, on the plane on the way to Bali, I got this download that it was like a book, and like I had to write a book, and I couldn't stop until it was done, and that was seven years ago. <laughs> so that was like this initial and clear call that never wavered for the entire seven years, no matter what it took. And then as I did my yoga teacher training, I, I started to become exposed to the concept of the yin and the energetics of the yin, and even got exposed to energetic healing and and things like this which I had no background in at all and frankly thought was pretty like woo at the time and so a lot of it has been it, it formed into kind of a spiritual memoir that's like what I call coming out of the woo closet and this process of moving into yoga, teaching yoga, starting to do craniosacral therapy, shedding many, many layers of identity at some point, starting to encounter plant medicine. And then, and then it all sort of comes together with this notion of the divine feminine metaphor, which is the great mother metaphor, which brings us all the way back to plant medicine and eventually brings us all the way back around to healing with indigenous peoples and lands, which is really the original story. Um, I just sort of came at it backwards <laughs> in, my, in my mind. So it was quite a winding journey but it was the book itself was, I can only explain it as a spiritual call and kind of a life's purpose, like you have to do this no matter what it takes. And that's how the whole thing was born.
0: That's beautiful. So you you mentioned this spiritual breakdown and the energy of the yin. What is the energy of the yin? What are you referring to?
1: So I was doing, I don't know, just, just kind of like yoga works, um, Hatha yoga for stress relief when I was finishing um, my doctorate because sitting in front of a computer for that many hours was a lot and somewhere in there I started to really connect with the breath which is the primary part of yoga and then when I went to Bali and I started to work with yin yoga um, the yin is it's really the feminine it's the receptive and so it's also the slowing down it's also the darkness and so we get a lot get all the way into this concept of the dark goddess and sort of the unconscious so there's a, a realm of themes that are like in regeneration it's sort of the compost phase of things which is the death phase of the cycle which is also rest and nighttime and the winter phase of the seasonal cycle the winter phase of the menstrual cycle I mean there's an endless amount of um, parallel metaphors that are that run through nature uh, that reflect this yin so actually the to me the soil is the yin the it's the the void and the Great Creatrix, and essentially the womb uh, metaphor, and so it's the place—it's like chaos, um, the place where all possibility exists. Where we think of chaos as like random BS in Western culture, that there's a more um, kind of mystical understanding of chaos as this place of all possibilities, and that is sort of where the seed gestates under the surface of the soil. So all of those are the yin metaphor. I can kind of go on forever, but I think I think you get the idea.
0: Yeah. So let's do the connection because you you very much in this book Grounded, you very much focus on the connection between the feminine energy and our own healing and how that connects to each other and how we all play a part in maintaining the land and um, affecting the health and quality of our soil and then how that affects climate. So can you explain a little bit more about how we're all connected in that way and how this yin energy is um, and how we take care of it affects how we take care of our soil?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say at this point um, that Western culture loosely, it's it's kind of hard to call anything, anything as, as vague as Western culture, but loosely Western culture is, I would say, doesn't deal with the yin very well, we have basically created kind of unconscious blind spot where we don't deal with the death part of the cycle very well, which makes us sort of, to me in my my perception, blind to life in the soil, health in the soil, also the compost part of the soil conversation. So I feel like this particular audience is probably pretty well versed in the soil carbon sequestration larger conversation. But to kind of loop it all together, as far as the mother metaphor, it's like if you just the direct mother metaphor, let's say if you part the soil, and you plant the seed, you insert the seed and then you cover the soil and then underground the seed in the darkness, the seed gestates, life gestates. And then at some point life is born. And then the rest of the cycle, of course, is that the, the plant grows and then at some point dies. And then when it dies, it comes back around as compost and goes back into the soil to re-nourish the soil. So it's a complete cycle. And what I found in those early years of um, of yin yoga and these things, that the pieces started to come together where I was like, oh, obviously humans are part of nature, which is sort of something I already knew intellectually, but I started to experience it energetically and um, physically and kind of at a soul level when I really started to work with it. And then when you see that seed metaphor and that mother womb metaphor... I came to realize that it's also reflected in the moon. So the waxing and waning of the moon, there's basically, it follows the cycles of the seasons as well. So you get like the four seasons and then a winter and a decomposition. So the pieces that I put together were basically that if we don't face this unconscious part of the cycle, it's sort of like, Scorpio archetypes, as well, where it's like it's regeneration, it's death, it's the unconscious, it's secrets. We, I want to say in Western culture, sort of are way over focused on like the sort of the sun and the spring and the summer parts of the cycle and have really forgotten and relegated this darker part of the cycle, the necessary part of the cycle, um, and the regenerating part of this cycle into our unconscious somewhere. And so the place where we're healing is this unconscious part of our own psyches and this thing that we're not paying attention to in our own energetic bodies. And then this thing that at the macro level, we're then not paying attention to collectively, which is why I would say that I didn't learn anything about the soil in my PhD program because it's a blind spot in like our entire society and I would say by now seven years later like the wonderful work that um, your group does and at Kiss the Ground is doing and so many groups are doing is to help bring this um, this piece this unconscious piece into the light and to continue to tell the story and bring it to the forefront of consciousness because still at the mainstream it's like still not a mainstream conversation which is fascinating uh, so for me I feel like when we have the courage to go into this this sort of yin healing, which means essentially facing into our own darkness and looking into our own unconscious realm, then we can suddenly start to see the patterns of nature and we start to see ourselves as part of nature. And when we do that, that's when compost suddenly makes complete sense and health in the soil and the forest floor and decomposition all sort of come into clarity to the point where it's obvious. But until we face that unconscious part of our psyches, we're not going to be able to see it.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything that you're saying here, it's almost like, I almost challenged where it's like, I don't know that we're not paying attention to it or or that we're just totally unaware of it. Right. So totally being focused on the yang aspect, the energy, the spring, the sun, the go, go, go highly active energy. And that's all we focus on. I think in the Western world, And uh, you mentioned this in your book, and it really resonated with me, was, you know, constantly trying to achieve. And even when you referred to yoga, you said, yeah, I really started to lean into this yin yoga. And it was hard at first, because you kind of expect, oh, you go to yoga, because you need to do like a workout. And you forget that there's this other whole part of life, which is the rest piece, the let things settle and turn over the darker side. And I have found um, uh, through my own experience in the last year, a deeper appreciation for that balance and recognizing like, um, the Tao, the Qing and really understanding the perspectives of, of Taoism and what yin and yang actually represent and how, you know, you can't have music without the silence between the notes. You can't have the seed sprouting without the compost and the dirt decomposing from the thing that died before it. And yet, We constantly focus on product, 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 product. And I have to be honest, like I was listening to that aspect of the book and it, it reminded me a lot of, of what I've been thinking about within Nori and within the general, I don't know if it's a race, but it's, it is definitely a global desire to do something about climate change. And I wonder how much of our desire to do too much is actually causing more of the problem.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's something to that, and I remember in the early days of Kiss the Ground, we were fueled largely by this need to this sense of needing to do something urgently, which is accurate given the data. Um, and at the same time, I think over the seven years of evolution, just as humans and kind of growing up, I would say almost into adulthood for most of us, there has been a sort of slowing down or a taking of a breath or a taking time because because we do realize that actually if we're charging ahead kind of blindly and feeling like we're like saving something or doing something, we can actually miss the most important parts. And I would say that this spiritual part of the conversation, I mean, part of the reason this is a spiritual memoir of sorts and a sort of coming out of the woo closet is because, that part of the conversation is also really, I'm going to call it heavily poo-pooed by a lot, by like um not just mainstream society, but certainly the academic world in my journey, frankly, got got hit pretty hard or kicked pretty hard in, throughout because it's frowned upon because it's, it's hanging out there in our unconscious and our subconscious still. And I talk a lot about kind of the history and the goddess history, which is a place that I never thought I would get into. And in like a mythology and archetypes and how, storytelling and these like archetypal energies are actually uh, foundationally and fundamentally important to everything we're doing and if you look at marketing for example and um, advertising they're using the power of the subconscious the unconscious and um, archetypes all the time
0: can you give us some examples of these archetypes and how it's affecting us on a society level
1: yeah. So I got into the sort of the great mother archetype is the original, right? It's the it's the OG, like the, the soil, exactly what I said before. It's like the cycles of all things and the the void, the great creatrix. And at some point, like around 5,000 years ago, and I kind of chased this around um, for a while, and there's not an exact, there are, there are lots of theories as to quite what happened, but nobody knows for sure. But at some point, the mythologies around the great mother started to get sort of taken apart and torn apart. And it aligned, with um, the concept of private property and the concept of essentially conquest or like taking over and the concept of um, owning land, which, which wasn't thought of the same way before and uh, the concept of owning people. And so from that, I think the natural through line, unfortunately, we've ended up with genocide and slavery as extensions of of those concepts, but I can pinpoint a few things, which is like, for example, when Zeus got written into the to the Hera myth, um, and Hera apparently was a triple goddess who was the great mother in pre-Hellenic Greece. And she was just the great mother on her own. She didn't have a partner. And then it was only in conquest that Zeus got written in and he got written in as a shape-shifting rapist. And we still have that like origin myth at the base of Western civilization and we don't question it which is fascinating like why we have a, a rapist hanging out there i remember learning this in elementary school you know and like not blinking and then wonder why we have a rape culture i mean it's it's fascinating that these things that are kind of buried in our psyche somewhere really do play out if they go unchecked if they go uninterrogated which is why we do personal and spiritual work because what it does is send us into these uninterrogated stories and archetypes and and things that are basically playing out in real life without essentially like our consent, you know, until we go and bring the unconscious back into the conscious. So there are many of these goddess archetypes that got rewritten. Lilith is another fascinating one where she was apparently Adam's first wife made of the same earth. And then as I talk about it in the book, but she gets basically exiled from the garden, you know, sent out, cast away. And she has this horrible choice to either be subservient to Adam or to like have a thousand babies a day and watch them all die. And she chooses, that rather than be subservient, but then gets written into Christianity as a threat to the Holy Union, because Eve then gets written as coming from Adam's rib. And so it's just, it's fascinating. Like we have these these stories, like both of those myths are informing what we call the air quotes, holy union, you know, what we call marriage, and these things are still playing out in our culture. So I think really, as far away as that may seem, um, from soil carbon sequestration, (laughs) as it seemed like quite a journey for me, I think if we don't go in and and look at these unconscious things, they will continue to run our show. And it doesn't matter how much compost we do, or what things we invent, if we're not looking into what is hanging out in our collective unconscious, like driving our show, we're not going to be able to heal what we need to heal in order to bring these cycles back into balance. And I think the larger sense of bringing cycles back into balance rather than like air quotes fixing something or air quotes saving something or fighting climate change, you know, there's so much language even in that. I mean, even the energy of fighting something creates an energy of fighting. And so I think this concept of working with the cycles, including our own darkness and healing what is there and leaning into the whole cycle is the only thing that's going to bring all of these larger cycles back into balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to find a quote here that you wrote in the book about how if we don't heal our collective um, root chakra or our collective unconsciousness, we won't be able to heal the soil and therefore address our climate issue. Um, how does this all connect, right? So you also mentioned um, the education and empowerment of women. So let's start with where you were, which is we need to heal our internal wounds, whether you're female or male, it's not, it's not specific to any one gender. We're all affected by these different things that come through the patriarchy so how do we do that? We empower women, educate girls, or we do certain things. And then how does that affect, help us connect the dots? How does that affect climate change? And what does it have to do with the soil?
1: Yeah, there's it goes in so many directions. Thank you. The root chakra is another kind of energetic archetype. And it comes from the Hindu tantric traditions. Uh, and this is, again, one of the things that I uh, sort of bumped into in Bali without meaning to. But the idea of the root chakra is basically it's at the base it's sort of at the base like below our tailbone energetically and it represents foundation tribe home identity family and safety and uh if we're in the united states we're basically looking at either we're looking at genocide we're looking at slavery we're looking at immigration so basically every single human that's here in the on on this land where i happen to be sitting Uh, has some kind of major root trauma that has been, that's intergenerational, has been passed down over generations. And so we're all, in in some sense, disconnected from the sense of home, tribe, identity, family. And, And it makes sense that we feel unsafe in a kind of foundational, fundamental way. And I would argue that that is one of the major things driving capitalism, because we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for our worthiness and our safety. And we keep like buying things and trying to do things beyond ourselves. So again, we get redirected back to our own healing. And again, the root is this, um, it's actually a masculine energy. And we'll get to that actually that these like the masculine and the feminine are in fact not gendered at all. Um, They're just archetypes and they run through every human um, no matter how we self-identify the root actually has this this masculine energy that helps us root into the mother and it has a structure. So it's a structural in- integrity, like a foundation. And then the next uh, chakra up is the sacral chakra, and that has a, a feminine energy and a watery energy. And then we get into that conversation around creativity, money, sexuality. So again, there are energies around these, which is why I included them in the book, because it's a really fascinating, essentially archetypal map um, that can help us conceptualize our own healing, I would say, and on the individual level and then on the collective level. So what I discovered in the book is everything is macro, micro, micro, macro. It all goes back and forth. There's nothing that exists at the micro that doesn't exist at the macro and vice versa. So so that's a sort of foundational level of that root chakra healing. And then we're talking about healing with women and girls. It actually gets back to that goddess mythology again. So if we're, for example, if we're running like a rape culture story for the last 5,000 years, that's also incredible intergenerational trauma that's been passed down energetically, conceptually, archetypally, and then also like literally, physically. And so we have, again, thousands of years of unfortunately sexual violence and again, slavery and in these sorts of awful institutions that have come out of these really imbalanced origin stories. And that's a big piece of what we're healing. And then if you look at Dr. Catherine Wilkinson has a beautiful Ted talk about the data around the relationship between empowering women and girls and uh, the relationship to climate change. The short answer is, is like, whenever we empower women and girls, whenever we help them get uh, education, reproductive rights, reproductive education, education in general, they help stabilize their communities. They help take care of the land. They often choose not to have as many children. and And do whatever they choose to do. They're empowered in a way where they're not subservient to whatever the overculture is that is often violent all over the world. And that has a huge relationship to how we care for and steward the land on small plots, on small farms, in terms of forestry. I mean, and there are all kinds of details as to how this plays out specifically all over the world, but but there is this theme. And so to me, it's no accident that there's such violence against what do I, I would call the sacred, which is our land and the soil, and the earth and mother earth and the mother earth archetype. And the feminine in some literal senses, in this way, it, it is gendered where it is gendered violence. And uh, so all of those things do, in fact, tie together in my mind. And again, so much of that violence and that history is, is suppressed and, and not being collectively healed right now. So I think if we were to shift our focus into so much more individual micro level healing, it would have a ripple effect of um, macro level healing across the world.
0: Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And you gave me an, a couple of thoughts, which is like every person, whether you're a female or male, has some type of uh, trauma that they need to heal. And it, it does seem like it has been passed down through, let's say, whether it's some of these archetypes you referred to that have been ingrained in our culture, like our religions, etc. We are either as a man or a woman repressing the more feminine aspects of ourselves And then how does that manifest itself? Well, you then don't have so much respect for the feminine because you're constantly used to repressing it or uh, discounting it. And therefore, how can you, if you were to take this analogy, uh, this wonderful metaphor that you have of the soil and the ground being uh, distinctly feminine in energy, if you're repressing your feminine energy on all aspects of your life, society, through your relationships, not feeling like it's safe to cry or be vulnerable, things like that, how can you have respect for this beautifully large feminine thing, which is the soil? And so if we want to do that, to have respect for it, it's to then respect all the feminine things about ourselves, give more respect and empowerment and love towards our female uh, counterparts, or just again, like even within oneself, I'm I'm really trying to think about this from the perspective of a male. So I'm always in the perspective of a female, you know, where it's like, yeah, make me feel empowered. But I think that a lot of men are also suffering from this. Like we are collectively repressing that type of energy. And we're just, and I don't even know that it's a repression that's known that we're aware of. It's just a complete generational block that has been passed down. And if we open that up, then the respect to other women and this type of energy would translate into how we take care and steward our land and therefore impact climate change.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's important and helpful to differentiate and to, to add to what you're saying or even to to support what you're saying, that sort of the non-gendered spectrum of the masculine and feminine, us healing both and the whole spectrum within, uh, within all of us. So I, for example, I'm doing a lot of masculine healing, what I would say. And there's an interesting way to to kind of clarify, because the the patriarchy is kind of a sticky word. And so is the toxic masculine. And so is the toxic feminine. So a lot of people ask me about how do I actually explain these? And it's actually a, a tarot teacher, Lindsay Mack, who gives my favorite description of the masculine and the feminine as archetypes and the masculine is like the mountain Uh, so it's like the steady initiator protector it's always there it's not going anywhere and then the feminine is like oceanic power and so it's fluid it's receptive it can be emotional it's changeable sometimes it's a tide pool sometimes it's a hurricane and when you have these two archetypes in this in these nature metaphors it's not like one is stronger than the other so i feel like the way i learned yin yang in elementary school inaccurately was that like the yang was strong and the yin was like passive and weak and um and like those are the, that's the balance of life so so men are strong and women are weak right and so we all have this kind of running through us somehow even if we know that it's totally inaccurate but the patriarchy is is this other thing that in the book i think that it's the ego externalized so it's the collective ego that's externalized into a collective thing and we call it patriarchy because it has manifested in something that we would kind Kind of vaguely called toxic masculinity, and it does has nothing to do with the actual sacred masculinity or the healthy masculinity in this in this beautiful natural spectrum of balance. And so it gets a little sticky in there, but I think differentiating the, the patriarchy really more as the ego, less as anything gender-based, but just yes, also to recognize that in the cycle imbalance that we have, it is tipped towards what looks like it would be sort of the young or the masculine but actually it's taken this very toxic way of it which really isn't the sacred masculine at all so if that makes sense we're coming all the way back to heal both in ourselves constantly and i find if i overtip in one direction in terms of my healing even the other side will sort of suffer and then so i get to kind of notice again and watch if i've gone out of balance in one direction or another it's it's a constant healing cycle which then is of course reflected in the macro as well so hopefully that makes sense
0: no, it, it totally makes sense to me. And I appreciate that distinction because it almost feels like these these conversations can be very, you said the word sticky and very fragile because uh, some people might identify, you know, male or female and, oh, are you attacking me? Like there's nothing wrong with me being a male or a white male. And of course there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of like being balanced and recognizing when things have gone out of balance. And unfortunately, some physical types of people historically have had more power than others. And so it's just a, these are tricky conversations to have. And I appreciate your distinction of, hey, look, there's the patriarchy. And it's not necessarily that we're talking about the patriarchy as like all men and anything masculine, because there is something greater than that, which is like divine masculine energy and divine feminine energy. And they're so very, very different and far from this patriarchy thing that we have, which is just like this, I don't know, monstrous ego based demon of a kind. I don't even know if it's a demon, (laughs) but like, but like a a construct, because like, I don't want to like create an enemy out of it, right? Like embrace your shadow, but recognize your ego for what it is and like give it a hug when you see your ego tripping, right? And notice that it's not really you, it's just an ego trip, (laughs)
1: Yeah. I've just been reflecting on this in the last few days, particularly about this awareness of the ego. So I think... For those of us who have done now at this point, like lots of deep personal work and spiritual work and psychological work, we become quite practiced at interacting with the ego. But for those who are new to it and don't have that experience, the ego is basically running the show. So the ego can basically take over. And if you're not aware of of the ego and its existence and the conversation between the ego and the soul, um, the ego is just running the show, which is basically what's happening still at the collective level, because we still, I think, have so few people doing this personal work, which I think is the next chapter of of my work is actually helping to open that door. And there there have been some some huge waves recently. Um, the book, I think, How to Do the Work or something like that just hit the New York Times bestseller list and stayed because people are starting to lean into personal work in a way that seven years ago, like I said, was quite poo-pooed. <laughs> like it was very sort of like sidelined and really not mainstream. And now it's not quite mainstream yet, but there's a larger conversation. And I think, I think when we can have kind of the collective, like the real mainstream consciousness enter into an actual awareness of a conversation between the ego and the soul. And then we don't have to make the ego such an enemy. Like right now it feels like a crazy demon because it's, because it's running every, it's running amok, you know, like that's why we are in the climate situation we're in. I would say is because our collective ego is so strong right now. And that collective soul voice is still so sidelined that this it's sort of like a wheel turning, like the more that we could get this soul conversation in there, and to heal the piece that that it's I don't know why I keep saying poop, <laughs> like to heal the piece where the, there's sort of still this voice. It's like oh, it's, it's it's irrational. It's you know, it's voodoo. It's witchcraft. It's what Nate it, you name it. You know, it's sidelined in every way still to this moment to this day. Like to be a woman walking around saying what I'm saying is still like pretty quite outside of the norm. And so I think as that shifts and as we can introduce these concepts as more palatable, like I think still the masculine and the feminine conversation is kind of brand new. The conversation with the ego is pretty, still pretty far out there, but I feel like this is, it's turning quickly. It kind of of has to on our timeline as the collective then becomes aware of the ego, then we can have a much, much different conversation as a collective and we can, like oh hey this big unhealthy thing that's going on like we don't have to make war with it we don't have to make war with ourselves we don't have to use war metaphors and continue to put energy into that sort of thing we can actually learn how to align with ourselves and then with nature
0: yes (laughs) so many things that you said that i want to respond to definitely um like the idea of not having to make war with something and recognizing that where we put our energy more of it will come back. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. It's just, I mean, it's kind of physics, right? They tell you like, if you exert force on an object, it will exert equal and opposite force.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything. I mean, and this, again, I still feel like a woo person saying everything is energy. Like <laughs> It's, I mean, I was raised on the East coast. Like my family doesn't speak this way. Um, it's still, it's still a little bit weird, but we need to get there pretty quickly. You know, it's like, okay, uh, this conversation, I feel like actually, and this is kind of the way all personal and spiritual growth works is that we hit a point of too much pain. Like we try, we deny, we deny the ego can clamp down for long enough until there's some kind of breakdown, which is what occurred in my life in 2013, right? Where it's like right now we're hitting this collective breakdown, and we saw 2020 and what it did to accelerate. Some cracks and some openings and now we're talking about mental health in a way we weren't before now we're talking about intergenerational trauma in a way that we were not before and we're dealing with history that we weren't willing to face before and that's all in one year, and so I think that work is not just trickling through, it's like firing through. And then pretty quickly, we're in a conversation around the ego and the soul. And when we start to get to a conversation around the soul, then we can actually talk about nature. Because another thing I've run into most recently is that birth and death, like Western culture is just phenomenally bad. <laughs> birth and death are these, like these magical portals, like the primary portals of transformation in nature that we all answer to, that Western culture really wants to ignore the fact that, you know, we come in and we go out of the 3D realm. <laughs> just, it really wants to tell us that it's all—it's linear, you know, we like go in and to live like a linear life that is not connected to the cycles of nature, frankly, is terrifying. And so it's another reason why we have a collective root chakra, just fear. We have people living in fear and people living in fear are gonna make all kinds of irrational decisions collectively and individually, which is exactly what we're living out right now. Also 2020 with with the, the theme of death, you know, as we come to really start to work with grief and it starts to stop being so triggering and sidelined. Like I I literally I, I recently just lost a pet and my experience of the way that just grief, just being in grief and sharing about it triggered so many people around me on such a profound level. I got a really good look at like how much work we still have to do there. And grief lives right there in the death space with the compost space with the dark goddess, right? And also, you want to talk about taboo subjects we've got sexuality and we've got plant medicine and plant medicine of course is criminalized by the federal government which to me is like such a symptom of a sick society you know like society that criminalizes nature <laughs> nature's nature's ability to remind us and nature's yeah innate ability to help guide us back to this conversation around soul and spirit and you know where we come from when we're born and where we might go when we die it's what humans have been answering to this for all of time but western civilization seems to think that it can just deny it all you know and so we find ourselves in a in a pickle <laughs> because because that's not how nature works so at some point pretty soon here i think we'll be we'll be answering to all of this
0: Absolutely. I think the theme that's coming out of this conversation for me is a theme of balance. It's of appreciating. We started this conversation with yin and yang, right? So um, for me, I personally see the Western culture completely out of balance. I mean, we're so disconnected from the source of our food, the source of the things that we buy and how it impacted the communities that created it or extracted that material from the ground or produced it or put it together. We're just so far into the need for convenience and comfort. And I don't think that convenience and comfort is a bad thing, but everything and balance, like sometimes right now I'm living in Cusco, Peru, and I have been for several months of the pandemic. Um, And it's very interesting because sometimes It's different to live in a developing country from when you're living in a developed country. I'm realizing what I'm taking more and more for granted or what I have taken for granted in my more Western lifestyle and recognizing like, it's okay to be cold. (laughs) You know, like I kind of just need to breathe into it. Like it's weird. Like if I just stop the tension in my shoulders and like, let them drop and take a deep breath, the cold isn't so cold but it's this fear of being cold all the time. I'd like to remind myself there's a balance, like, hey, soon I will be indoors again and it won't be so cold. Like, there's this beautiful impermanence of the state of things, and it's beautiful because it's impermanent, right? It's beautiful because it's, you're happy in this moment, then you're sad in this moment. You know that that movie, Soul? Did you see it that came out uh, from Disney?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I just watched it recently. I Um, loved
0: it. The first time I watched, it, I had to rewatch the scene towards the end where he's playing the piano and recalling all the memories. And he's just like, this is living. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, that's it. And I think, unfortunately, when I think of like our what has driven a lot of the problems that we see today, which I think are fixable. And I think they're fixable. um, The problem. Let me start with the problems extracting way too much from land in an unsustainable, unregenerative manner, right? Suppressing communities from where we extract those things to empower and give lush lives to those who use them. Um, that does not mean that any population is better or worse as a human being. We're all just part of this cycle. So let's bring it back to balance. Um, and that's kind of like what's in my mind now is how do we bring more balance and I think part of that is what you said, which is getting rid of the fear of the discomfort of healing all the other parts of us, because it is okay. Like in we can't escape nature. Like we will be born, we will get older, we will age, we will wrinkle, we will die. <laughs> like, you know, like there's just this constant fight even against aging. And it just it seems like a disconnect from those natural cycles in the Western world for me and a, and a complete lack of appreciation because we weren't educated and how beautiful it is to get old, to die, to let these things
1: happen. Absolutely. And I think it's that speaks to the interconnectedness of all things, right, which is inherent um, and is something that we seem to have forgotten in our intense individuality. But what what has happened then is that we've lost the ceremonies and the rituals that thread communities together, uh, which I think is one, for one of the many reasons why healing with Indigenous peoples and lands is so important, because there are ways and teachings and ceremonies that um, have stood the test of time and have even m- maybe withstood. I've been I've been listening to some recently, some people speaking about it. And it's like maybe some of those cultures have had much harder times way further back, thousands of years back um, and learned from them. And then, and then put in place ceremonies and rituals after that, you know, so it's not like anybody's perfect or better or whatever, but that we have learned uh, along the way that if we, keep in mind this harmony and this balance and this interconnectedness of all things we put into place fabric into our cultures to remind ourselves and to remember. And in this, it makes me think of this grief process that I realized I was like, we are like bereft. Like we, I can't find grief rituals anywhere. I looked online. I mean, there's like a few, found a few little Celtic ones with some herbs and things and like down, and I have a Celtic line, a few like Asian ones, a few people told me about things, but I actually found myself just just sort of intuiting, following my own intuition and following a few things that I had heard and being like, okay, I can, I'm going to reweave this, you know, I'm going to just listen to spirit and and let spirit guide me um, in terms of how to proceed with ritual and ceremony around this massive transformation in my life, and then share that and pass that forward. And I think there's something about the reweaving that we're doing there, where when when we don't have those things in place, we For example, um, like grandparents, one of the things I heard in a grief group was that um, someone, her grandmother, excuse me, started teaching her about death when she was little so that when it was time for grandmother to pass, the child had the information that had been passed down as to how to be with that death. And then as that person, that little one grows, they, they learn and then they then have the wisdom. They become the grandmother at some point and they pass that down as well. So there's this cyclical, you know, human's interacting together at all ages. So we're not like sending our small children to buildings that look like prisons, you know, <laughs> feeding them prison food and then sending our old people to buildings that look like prisons and feeding them prison food. And again, it's just, that's the ego's like blindness and denial being like, no, no, that none of that happens. Like everybody's in spring and summer. Like it's all just, you know, forward moving. But it's funny because even there, it's like we're run by fear. So back to what you're saying about fear is that without these kind of foundational things and this fabric and this community and these teachings and these rituals, of course, we're terrified. It's terrifying. Like it's, we're without bearing, you know, we don't have any, like when it's really hard and scary, I I leaned hard on my spiritual practices. Thank goodness. I was like, wow, I have really deep roots. Thank goodness. Imagine going through this without in a society that doesn't have any of these things. Like, and I think death is just traumatizing people over and over and over over again in western society continuing to exacerbate it and pass it down to the next generation even more because each time it happens we're that much less prepared and we're that much more afraid and we are, are less equipped to be with our grief and we don't have community and it triggers everybody around us so then we get exiled i mean it's just it's a it's a terrible wave it's like it's it's backwards and so We see this in nature that we've got these awful like climate change exponential curves, you know, and these things that compound, but it also works in the other way where nature heals very, very quickly. The second we tip something back into balance, um, those connections naturally sort of link up like in a sort of mycorrhizal way, right? So one thing for all of this difficulty and all of this fear and all of this um, sort of lack of things that we need, I feel like we can actually heal it very quickly as well. As soon as we become aware of it, start to do the work, turn our attention to it, start listening to spirit and frankly, start, start reweaving. Um, if we need to like download new ceremonies from, <laughs> straight from spirit, which I think we need to do, I think that's the work of our time. I think we're going to have to do that to rethread community and society back together balance
0: yeah and and what's so great is that there're still I think the uh, I think there's another half of the world that still has no ceremonies yeah. and it's a matter I don't know if you've heard of this story or, or legend of the eagle and the Condor I'm gonna do a poor job of it but essentially uh, the eagle's from the north and the eagle represents industry like strength and, and progression and the condor is from the south. And it represents um, more heart-centered being, soul-centered warmth, fire, you know. And it represents our two lands, so the lands of the north and the lands of the south. And, you know, I was with a, a shaman friend of mine in Mexico, and he was telling me about this legend. And he goes, now is the time, and this was foretold, you know, hundreds of years ago um, by indigenous people. I can't remember where, so I won't I won't mis- misremember But that at some point, and this is the time that we're in now, it will be time for the eagle and the condor to start working together where the eagle comes and starts teaching industry to the condor and the condor teaches, you know, more heart centered being to the eagle. I don't know why these two birds were part of the legend, but that's what it is. And I feel that that's very much what we're in right now. And I, and I hope to see that because I do see you know, the North, like let's say you're Europe or China or the US, um, extracting a lot of resources from really uh, naturally rich places like Africa and South America uh, without any real concern about what's being, like what's happening in those places and how it's affecting those communities. And yet those communities have a lot of practices they can share with regard to ceremonies. So the eagles really good at industry, like it's a beautiful gift and it's time to share that and, and educate the condor and the condor needs to share and educate the eagle on how to be more okay with these more natural cycles, providing ceremonies. And it's just like, we're, we're these two halves of this one whole on this planet. And yet we're completely distinct and not sharing those wisdoms with each other. And if we could, I mean, that's my dream. And I think it's a dream of many people is to see balance more across the world in that way. Because it's, again, no characteristic is inherently bad. It's just a matter of, is it is it in balance?
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. And it, what I feel when you say that is that nature naturally finds balance no matter what. That's her way. She just does, you know? So it's possible that, where we are is like, while it takes consciousness and practice and intention to kind of steer the wheel, on some level it will happen not without us, but it will happen. (laughs) Which is, if that makes any sense, that there is this like divine intelligence to nature to inevitably bring things back into balance. I've actually been listening a lot to Zach Bush MD recently, particularly around uh, food cycle, but also he speaks a lot about this, the birth and death, again, this sort of like blind spot in Western medicine. So there's another conversation, there's a huge conversation right now around public health and medicine. And then we get into sort of Western side Science and what it what it is great at, and what it might be less great at, and um, same with Western culture. So I think there's something intuitively it feels like there's something in there. And he was talking also about how after these great extinction events, inevitably there's always a huge burst in biodiversity because that's just how nature works. So I just liked that message about just how mother nature always heals and she does handle it. And we're part of this grand design and all we can do is intend towards this healing, this weaving, this bringing things into balance. And then also at a certain point, this is also the yin is just, is sort of releasing and surrendering to her To her divine intelligence and trust that that that's the way it's gonna go.
0: Yes, absolutely. We talked about a lot. I think we 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 started off gingerly and now like fully dived into the more spiritual aspect, which is totally fine. I don't think that it's necessary for us to make it super palatable. I think the fact that if talking about these things causes some type of physical, emotional, or like psychological like or eye roll, I think it's a signal that there's something off. Like. Why why would it bother you? Because if you were so chill, like it wouldn't bother you. Um so those are useful signals. What do we do about it? You gave some really good practices in your book. Are there a couple that you would like to share with the audience and and leave them with to, to try out?
1: Sure. Yeah, thank you. I stick to the really, really, really basic. I, I think to the point where people are like that's obvious but you have to actually do them is <laughs> a trick. So, um, and also to this point of, for people who maybe are just entering into personal work or spiritual work at all, and this is a lot to bite off and chew, there are some really, really simple entry points. Uh, one is literally just taking three breaths at any point. Which again, maybe sounds totally trite. But actually, if you, for example, put an alarm in your phone or something, stop yourself at certain points in the day and just stop and take three breaths. Um, you don't even have to like go outside to do this exercise. It's actually a really powerful exercise in connecting to spirit even if you're not consciously doing that or if that's not your purpose if nothing else it will help slow down your nervous system and just sort of help very slightly like decrease your stress for a moment and it's just if you just do the three breaths it'll it'll help you sort of gently remind and then when that helps a little bit you might be more inspired to do some deep breathing for longer or something like that, if that feels good. And I think the next one is equally as simple and kind of goes with the first one is literally just taking off your shoes and going and putting your feet on the earth at least once a day. And it can literally be for one minute or like 20 seconds if you <laughs> really can't. But I find that if I even if I feel overstressed or something, which I have found um, the last two months have been really intense with the book launch, obviously, and, and the pet loss and things, I really had to take my own medicine and I really really had to pause and like stop and take three breaths and go outside and take my shoes off. And even for one minute, again, it would calm my nervous system. And then I would, I would become so much calmer in 20 seconds that I would stay out there for 10 minutes, you know, or I would pull up a chair and just leave my feet on the ground and uh, just breathe for a little while, even if it was you know 10 minutes 20 minutes those are a couple of really basic ones and then on the those are kind of in i would call them inner work on the outer work side compost obviously so i think this is a pretty like friendly audience for compost for many people that's brand new it's a, it's new information even that the soil is alive even if this is not new information for you you can pass this one on that for compost for my for example my agent actually when she read my book uh, in the very beginning she Googled composting and realized, and she's in Manhattan, that she could save her little compost scraps, her food scraps, in the freezer and then take them to her farmer's market where she was getting her food once a week anyway, or twice a week. And so it didn't take an extra step. And then she also learned that the food scraps when they're not in the trash would not make, um, it would no longer smell, which is a big deal in, uh, in Manhattan. And then there was less trash, which is a big deal in Manhattan. So it's a tiny little thing, but actually a huge thing. And I think if you want to get a lot further into that, you could actually move into helping others compost, help set up a community compost, um, help set up a system or a city level compost, even if you're, you know, let's say that you're, you're a community leader already, you know, but you're not composting, that could be, that could be a big step for you. So those are a few like really simple entry points.
0: Thank you. And I wanted to say, um, there was one thing that you mentioned and I just, it's worth bringing up uh, in that second tactic you gave, which is taking your shoes off and touching the ground. Was that uh, we're always disconnected because we're wearing shoes and we're in these yeah. buildings, and the Earth has an actual current. Obviously, it has a magnetic yeah. charge. Then we get out of balance when we don't do that. So it's not just a a, a spiritual good practice, but it affects the physical as well um, in ways that we don't quite know. Uh, and yeah. all of all of this is in ways we don't quite know. Uh, I remember once I uh, I was speaking with a colleague about this, about uh, spirituality, and he said, you know, well, everything can be explained by science. And I said, sure, but who's to say spirituality isn't science we don't yet understand? Some of the things that we have now, like the fact that you and I are on a podcast and I'm in Peru and you're in San Diego, like, it's magic. Go back 200 years, it's magic, right? (laughs) So. So some of the things that we're talking about now might make people roll their eyes or feel uncomfortable and be like, oh, like that's just some woo-woo stuff. It's just science we don't understand yet. And science being this beautiful thing that connects us all. And who's to say science isn't magic?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's an observation, just like science, like air quotes proving, you know, that meditation works. That's been <laughs> going on for tens of thousands of years and acupuncture and you know, gut health, all of these things. It's, uh, frankly, Western science is pretty slow on it. Um, heart math is really fascinating. And um, one kind of funny factoid is apparently the horse's heart has like a six mile electromagnetic field. So if you ever want to do horse healing, I don't know why I felt like that was important to share. That's <laughs> but, incredible. but like weird things that you wouldn't know. But it's like, who knows? Like the horses are, are healing us in ways that we have no idea. And then science eventually figures it out, you know?
0: That's wonderful. I woke up with two horses across my apartment this morning, so it was great. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for joining. Thank you for the seven-year trek of writing your book and all the things that you've done to help spread the word on the importance of soil and for sharing like vulnerably your story. So I recommend everybody read your book. It's quite good um, and exactly the type of conversation we're we're supposed to be having. And it's very much a pandemic- Uh, you know, like a pandemic triggered thing that I think came out at the right time.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for your beautiful questions and the beautiful conversation and being open and willing to engage it. That's really lovely. Always. Well, take care. You too. Take care. Thank you so much.